He's been referred to as the last of the great heavyweights. Lennox Lewis won the World Heavyweight Championship three times. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up. excited about today's special guest. He was born in England. He grew up in Kitchener where he took up boxing. He won multiple Canadian titles. He is a two-time Commonwealth Games champion. He was the 1983 World Junior Champion. He was the 1988 Olympic heavyweight gold medalist. His professional record, 42-2-1 with 32 knockouts. The WBC heavyweight champion, Three-time world heavyweight champion, two-time undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, Lennox the Lion Lewis. Program, my friend. Hey, how you doing? It's almost like I've done that before, Lennox, honestly. <laughs> that was Listen, pretty good. I was going to go, wow, this is taking long, man. I got so much, uh, <laughs> so much behind my name. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that's just the half of it, my friend. So I, I watched a documentary not too long ago, uh, recently released, uh, Lennox Lewis, The Untold Story. Terrific film. It got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I encourage everybody oh, to see it. Uh, you know, I, I think I tuned on, on Crave TV in Canada. It's narrated by Dr. Dre. Uh, that's pretty cool. I am pretty cool. Oh, yeah, Dr. Dre narrated. Cool. Yeah. 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 And tell me, what do you think of uh, Dre's uh, performance at the halftime show at the Super Bowl? Let me tell you, everybody's going to remember that. Everybody's going to remember that. I was, I was amazing. And, uh, you know, all the great rappers were there. 50 Cent was there. Um, I wish Ice Cube would have been there. But, uh, you know, they can only fit so many people on the stage. But it was a great performance. I think a lot of people are going to remember that for a long time. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, I felt I felt quite emotional just watching it. Like more than any Super Bowl halftime show I've seen, I felt like a lot of emotion, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah there's a lot, 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 lot there. But uh, I want to talk about about you, the champion, of course, because, you know, like, like I watched that bit, uh, that uh, that movie and that doc and, and um, some great video that I've never seen before. Of course, I've seen all your fights. I've followed you since I was a, a rookie in, in, at CTV in Toronto. Uh, and and uh, I uh, the be some behind the scenes footage you know you and in the dressing room before the fights and I remember seeing Adrian in there and Chris and and uh, and Egerton and and uh, you know it, it, your boy yeah. it, was, it was it was pretty cool that was really really amazing behind the scenes footage um, what uh, what was it like to 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 put that together to film that documentary and were you happy with the result? Yeah, I was happy with the results. I mean, um, you know, the main thing that I was happy with with is people actually seeing behind the curtain, you know, what actually happens before a fight, uh, uh, before I even step into the ring. A lot of people always see the finished product of me stepping in the ring, but they've never seen me in my dressing room, my preparation before I get out to walk towards the fight, even the music changes and I become more relaxed. And uh, the people that surround me that are in my dressing room hyping me up. And, uh, you know, just the format right before you step into the ring. A lot of people didn't see that, so I, I like that aspect. And even my whole life in boxing, you know, what I was going through, nobody really knows. So the documentary really tells it all and tells uh, gives a lot of a lot of information about what's been happening in my whole career. So I think the people would love it. And, uh, you know, like you said, 100 on Rotten Tomatoes. And everybody that I see are always saying they love it and that uh, uh, they're going to tell their friends to watch it and everything. So if you don't know anything about Lennox Lewis, the documentary tells a lot about me and where I come from. Well, you know what? 
Very, very for sure. And I want to talk a little bit about where you come from, because that's uh, talked about in the documentary. So you're born in England uh, and you were there till you were 12 years old. Uh, what was it like in those early uh, years, particularly after, you know, your father left and, and uh, you know, living in England? What was it like for you? It was, uh, to, to me, it was okay. As a kid, you don't know what's good and what's bad. You're just living life and, and living every day and, uh, and, you know, hopefully being happy. And I was pretty happy. You know, I, I lived with uh, a person where my mom actually uh, entrusted to look after me for a little bit. And she couldn't really look after me too long. So I actually went into a, a group home where uh it was really for kids that were bad and commit committed crime and stuff and when they realized i wasn't that type of kid they moved me to another one which is out in the country to a farm where we had like about you know eight dogs and uh you know eight kids so we had a lot of attention and um you know that's that was my first um schooling or away from my mom for a long time she actually immigrated to canada at that time and uh, it was just a situation of just reunited me and my mom together. And that's what caused me to come over to Canada because reunited with my mom. So why did she, why did she decide to move to Kitchener or Canada and particularly Kitchener? Yeah, I mean, she had some friends that were over there and uh, she moved down to Kitchener to be close with her friend. That's why she called me over and uh, I was there and, you know, I learned about hockey and snow for the first time. Tell us about your thoughts about Canada. Well, getting off the plane first time, you know, I could hear my mom shouting, that's my son, that's my son, that's my son. And I was like looking around for her. And, you know, she came up to me and she was screaming and crying. She gave me a big hug, a big kiss. And I remember uh, she, she brought a winter coat for me. And I was like, winter coat, you know, not used to somebody bringing a coat for me. And we went outside and I seen this white fluffy snow and I picked it up and I, you know, I only, it was the first time actually seeing snow and feeling snow for the first time. So uh, that was a memorable moment for me. And then, of course, you go to school and uh, things get weird right off the hop. Yeah, like uh, first time to school, my mom said, stay out of trouble, listen to the teacher. She doesn't want to get no phone call from, you know, uh, work that she has to come to the school. And I remember going there for the first time and, you know, some kid came up to me and said he wants to fight me. And I was horrified, like, yo, this kid wants to fight me. I can't fight. You know, I don't want to get in trouble. My mom's going to, uh, you know, be mad that I'm fighting in school. Everybody was circle around me. And, you know, some of the kids said, fight him, fight him, fight him. And so I said, okay, I put up my hands. And, you know, we had uh, gloves, little mittens at the time. So it wasn't like bare-fisted or anything like that. It was more of a, a boxing match. Anyway, I hit him two times. He went down. I thought the fight was over. He came back, tapped me on the shoulder. He said, let's do it again. And I'm like, this is a crazy uh, Canadian custom that is going on. <laughs> anyway, I knocked him down again. And he got up and he said, okay, yeah, me and you can be friends now. So it's like, yo, I had to really prove myself. This kid with this British Cockney accent uh, talking, <laughs> I guess that that's what that was, I got uh, initiated. That's how your initiation went. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. you, you were a terrific athlete in, in high school. Lennox, you played uh, football, uh, helped lead your team to a, a championship. Uh, you played basketball. I think you led your team to uh, the AAA championship. How did you decide on, on, on boxing? Boxing came easy for me. You know, uh, you know, being involved in team sports all the time, such as basketball, football. I remember going to a football game, and there's like, you know, 50 kids on the football team. And, you know, two guys dropped the ball. And that's it. It all depended on two guys. We lost the game. And I remember we, we had a, another football tournament coming and a boxing tournament. And the boxing tournament allowed you to go, you know, around the country, you know, in Vancouver. I had a tournament in Vancouver. And uh, I, f I figured to myself, you know, individual, uh, uh, individual sports is better for me because it all really depends on one person. That's yourself. 
So I did well in boxing because of that. Right. It's pretty pretty hard to point the finger at somebody else when it's just you in the ring, right? In boxing, so tell me about Arnie Bean. Right. Arnie it does, was a, was a great you. role model. Tell me about Arnie. Great mm -hmm. father figure. Um overall great man. He used to take fifteen kids in his in his truck in his suburban to boxing tournaments. We used to come to Toronto, go come to Sully's and uh um go into his tournament there and you know arnie blessed his soul would give of himself so much and we definitely remember him and love him and um you know wish he was still here but um you know i know he's looking down proud on you know all the kids he was involved in not just me well you you, you had a tough go in the upbringing uh, in respect of upbringing, Lennox, I mean, you know, growing up almost by yourself and being, you know, going to the farm in, in England and, and, and the other, the other uh, place before that. And, and so now you come to Kitchener, you're, you're finally reunited with your mom again. And, and how much, how important was say Arnie in terms of guiding you and, and giving you direction and, and, uh, and how important was boxing with in, in, in that regard as well? Yeah, I think Arnie was very important because I didn't have a father figure at the time. And, you know, my mom uh, really found me, like, hard to deal with because I wasn't listening to her. And I think mm -hmm. boxing was a great way out for me. It got me focused. It learned me discipline. And, you know, Arnie was really excited about me. He said I was going to be champion before I even knew I was going to be champion. So, uh, you know, that shows what hard work, dedication, and focus can really lead to. And that's what really helped me in my career. You know, hard work, focus, dedication, the will of, of saying that I can do it. And, uh, you know, having good people around me. You know, I remember uh, some days Arnie would come and get me from my house. So, you know, I wasn't, going to the, I wasn't going to the gym. He would say, yeah, well, come to the gym and come and pick me up. And, um, you know, that really helped me because, you know, it still kept me focused on the gym kept me focused on what I needed to do. He was telling me the right things, you know, sacrifice, uh, listen to my mother, clean up my room, all those things that a father would step in and do. Uh, he was he was there for me in, in, in that respect. You had a couple of great amateur coaches in Arnie and Adrian T. to rescue as well. And, uh, uh, did, when did when did you know that you were you were a guy who could who could bring home an Olympic gold medal? When did you come to that realization and how? Listen, at at one point in my career, um, Arnie said, "Listen, I'm going to take you down to Toronto to uh, Adrian Tedesco. I, I there's there's only so much I can show you. This man can show you more." And I, I you know, looking back at that, I really respect Arnie for doing that because. Uh, he knew his, he knew what he was capable of and not capable of. And when he took me to uh, Adrian, Adrian taught me a different philosophy and uh, you know the, the European, uh, the Russian way, uh, the Romanian way of Romanian. sport. Yes, um, he, he went to actually Russian university to learn to be a doctor of uh, phys ed and um, he would tell me stories about that all the time. But, you know, he was a great man. And, you know, his son still lives on uh, his legacy in boxing. So his son's a trainer, too, and helping young kids as well. Armin, yeah. So um, now it's uh, you're good. You're, you're going to the 1980 Olympics and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the big challenge, of course, everybody knows it's going to be Riddick Bowe. You know, you're facing for the gold medal. And uh, now here, it, it, here's here's your fight against Riddick Bowe. Now, in the first round, Bowe hit you pretty good. Looked like he he won the round for sure. And and, uh, and you had to dig down deep in that second round. Tell us what happened. Yeah, Bowe won the, sec the first round because he surprised me. His best punch was the uppercut, and I put my head down for it. And I remember, you know, that was a big problem I had in the amateurs. Sometimes I put my head too low and not keeping your head up. And 
that was a situation where he caught me and it was really just a wake-up shot for me it's like i was so upset that i got caught with that punch that i came out you know furious the next round and i said yo i came to the olympics to win so you know if i win if i lose and i've still got breath left then i didn't work hard enough i've got to work until i can't work no more and that's what i that's what i went out in the second round to do he's gonna i said he's gonna have to he's gonna have to hurt me bad or knock me out to win because i'm going for it how did it feel to uh to put that gold medal around your neck and and knowing that it was the first uh, Canadian gold medal in boxing in over a half century since Horace left the Gwyn, I think in 1936 or 32 or something like that. Uh, you know, and, and me, for me as a boxing, uh, I got boxing guy and a Canadian. I, I mean, that, that moment was just so wonderful. So thrilling to see you dancing around the ring like that and, and, and uh, winning that gold medal for Canada. What was it like at that moment for you? Oh, it was, I was, I was really overjoyed. I was very happy. Um, you know, a lot of people going into Olympics didn't had me not winning. You know, oh, he won't win it. But I, I wanted to prove everybody right. This is my second time at it. And I said, you know, I'm not coming here for the second time for nothing. They're going to have to take me out on the stretcher. So that's how focused I was. And, uh, you know, I was really happy uh, beating Riddick Bowe. Riddick Bowe was talking about me before the Olympics, saying how he's going to beat up everybody, he was going to knock out everybody, he's going to win the Olympics, that the American boxers came over to me and said, hey, there's a guy named Riddick Bowe over there saying that he's going to knock you. I'm like, who's Riddick Bowe? I've never met this guy. Bring me to this guy. So we went around looking for Riddick Bowe all over the Olympic uh, 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 village. Uh, village. Finally found him walked up to him and I said, yo, I'm going to knock you out. And he goes, you ain't going to knock out nobody. So I'm like, yeah. All right. So that was our first, first words. Our last words were the other day he came down to Miami and he wanted to shake my hands. Um, so we shook hands still, you know, you know what I mean? But I, I had my yeah. hands up because he's no, he's known as a sucker puncher. So I was ready for it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, Bo was so afraid of you that as a pro, he ran away from you and, and chose to to uh, to uh, drop the WBC belt into the garbage can rather than uh, defend it against you. I mean, that's uh, how, how that's that tells you how how afraid he was. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't really understand it. If somebody beats you in the Olympics, obviously you want to get them back as a pro. So I thought we were going to meet as pros because the last thing he said to me when I was on the, uh, when we were listening to our anthems, oh, I see you in pros, Lewis. I see you in the pros. So I was waiting for him in pros. He had a little advantage over me too. His advantage, he had a, a professional trainer. So that's why he could throw some good shots because he, he had that professional schooling before the amateurs. Me, I had the amateur schooling. Now it was time for me to learn the professional schooling. Empty my cup as an amateur, fill up my cup as a pro. Right. So as a pro, you decided to go to Britain to turn pro. And, and uh, you know, I know a lot of the reasons why. But tell us, uh, you know, uh, uh, those who are watching this, what, what, what made you make that decision? Why, did, why go to Britain and why Frank Maloney? As your well, manager. a couple of reasons. A couple of reasons. You know, boxing wasn't that big in Canada, for one thing. Second reason, you know, I wanted to go to America. But, you know, at that time, a lot of the American promoters were after Tyson, Holyfield, and those guys. And then being from England with a British background, you know, there wasn't really anybody over there that uh, was really representing the heavyweights. Only Frank Bruno and Gary Mason at the time. And I thought they were mm -hmm. old, so... Um, you know, Frank Maloney, which is a promoter in England, called me and said, before I sign any contract, to see him first. So I went over to see Frank Maloney because I wanted to see all the promoters and get a feel of them and see what they were like and see if my spirit would take them. Anyway, when I went over there, uh, it was after meeting the Duvers and um, uh, a couple other promoters, Don King. When I went over to England, Frank Maloney and... Um, uh, Roger Levitt said, listen, 
We want you to be part of the, our team. We're starting a, a, a management company and you're the man. And what do you want? I said, well, could I get a house? Yep. Could I get a car? Yep. And you know, those were the main <laughs> things, house and car making. And I actually put education in there, going back to school. So they would pay for that too. So they paid for everything. Well, it turned out to be a pretty good deal for you. And, and as I, I, when looking back, it was an amazing move. It worked out really well. And of course, you know, for those people who say, well, you don't want to, you want a gold medal for Canada. Why didn't he stay here? It all comes down to the bottom line, Lennox. Nobody who was offering the kind of money that you were going to get there, just as plain and simple as that. So you weren't going to get the kind of, you know, uh, tutelage you needed. You weren't going to get the kind of money you needed. Yeah, or, or the platform. I mean, it was kind of weird throughout my whole uh, throughout my whole pro career. You know, in Canada, didn't really show my fights. And the only fights they really showed over and over was the one I lost. So, um, uh -huh. you know, I wasn't uh -huh. really getting too much support from Canada at that time. But uh, I definitely had a Canadian flag on my trunks. Yes, you did, and and uh, those of us who are who, who know you and who followed you all the way along, we we were really appreciative of what you did, and uh, it was amazing. So now you finally okay, you finally got your chance to the title. I was actually there in nineteen ninety three, May eighth. You got that. This is your first chance to defend your title after you got it given to you after both threw it away. Uh, I was in Vegas for covering that show, uh, that fight for CTV here against Tony Tucker. Uh, you dropped in the eighth round, but Tucker gave you a pretty good scrap. Were you surprised uh, that he was able to uh, to go the distance with you? Let me say, T Tony Tucker is a great fighter, great boxer, great mover. He's a he, he actually has that type of same type of style I have, and um, I call him the 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 Don King uh, hitman because oh, if Don King loses a fight. And one of his heavyweights lose a fight. Usually, Tucker goes and gets that title back for him. But uh, I wanted to to uh, fight Tucker for the longest time to really to show him that I was better than him. And you know, the only way you can see if you're better than the person is if we both get together in the ring and we fight. But he showed me a couple of tricks. He was quick. He had a great jab. I had a great jab. So it was a it was a battle of the jabs, battle of the. Uh, the the pugilist specialist who knew more in boxing uh i had a great amateur career coming into the pros and i was learning the pro style and everything he already had it he was like you know he's been through many camps with don king and and a lot of don king's heavyweights so he was used to that type of uh boxing but because i'm a great athlete i think that's what really won and paid off in the fight with him i was a little bit quicker and a bit better mover. Well, okay, so you 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 become Canadian, you become world heavyweight champion, and a little while later, another Canadian made his mark. As we wanted, we had uh, Donovan Bailey on the show a little while back, and we had this little conversation. So let's listen to that. I'm definitely blessed and humbled. Um, you know that day, and definitely every single day from that day onwards. It was beautiful. I mean, so I just want to look at these numbers here. Uh, you were running 12.10 meters, meters per second, 43.6 kilometers an hour, 27.1 miles per hour, fastest ever by any human being on planet Earth. Uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, I just that whole thing is kind of, that's pretty cool. I just have to say, there's two things that I think yes, are the, the coolest sporting achievements there are. One is fastest thank man you. on the planet. One's heavyweight champion of the world. You know, and and you you got yes. to experience one of those things, and our our buddy Lennox yeah. Lewis got to experience uh, the other one, right? So that's pretty cool. At the same uh, time, now, yeah, at the same time, at the same right. time, how right. cool is yes. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canada rules, baby. Canada rules. Absolutely. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, you know, here yeah. we are, the world's fastest man, world heavyweight champion, at the same time. What do you think of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. That's a that's great. I mean, you really put Canada on the map. Canada has a lot of secret weapons, and uh, obviously, uh, Donovan Bailey and Lennox Lewis was uh, one of the two of them. Yeah, both with Jamaican heritage too. How's that? You know, and then there's another Jamaican who did all right named Usain Bolt. So yeah, that's pretty good. 
Yeah. Uh, so, do you know what the secret is? What's that? Do you know what the secret is? No. Reggae music, baby. Reggae music. Uh, we, got, we, got, we got the vibe going on. Bob Marley. The vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Loving Bob, yeah. Okay, so you had, you had some stunning knockouts, Lennox, along the way. Uh, Big Mike Weaver, Frank Bruno, Franz Botha, Michael Grant. Now, the big punch was usually that right hand that sent people lay, uh, to sleep. Uh, but uh, you also had an excellent jab, a great uppercut. Which he using right, you know, right there, <laughs> left hook, yeah. right there, you know, and 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 the uppercut, you you, you went through that when you when uh, when the up right there, here we go. So uh, some people thought you were you would call you a kind of like a uh, you know, just the right hand guy, just a single kind of ability fighter here, but you you proved it time and time again, man. You set the punch up with an amazing jab, but you also had great uppercut, great hook. How did you become such a such a tremendous, uh, a, a, you know, a fighter with that much versatility? Well, you know what really helped is uh, you know the amateurs, and I realized that the the best amateur fighters are the Cuban fighters. And what what is the thing that makes them so great? Well, a lot of repetition, um, a lot of training. They work hard, and they keep it simple. So if, if it's hitting you with the right hand and they've got the good left-right combination, that's what they're trying to hit you with the whole night until it happens. And uh, I remember somebody telling me and saying, yeah, you know, you have a great right hand. Everybody's watching out for that. Oh, it's actually Man Emmanuel Stewart. He said, everybody's watching out for your right hand, but they don't know about your uppercut. They don't know about your hook. Plus, we're going to develop that jab so... You know, if they feel that jab, they're not going to want to feel the right hand. So that's what I that's what I focused on. I just focused on perfecting my punches, making them better. I knew everybody was watching out for my right hand, so I perfected my hook and my uppercut. And it was great because everybody's watching my right hand in the fight. I would hit him with an uppercut. I would hit him with a hook, and it's like they're still watching for my right hand now. Uh -huh. They got hit with two other punches. They watch. They don't know what to watch out for. So that was great. Yeah. That was a so great thing for me because you know I was known as a right-handed puncher, and how I how how I realized that because you know Manny said when you throw that right hand, how do you how do you take somebody's right hand away? You turn away from it. Now when you keep on turning away from it, he ain't gonna want to throw that right hand too much, or he's gonna really overcompensate to throw that right hand. And that's that'll bring him off of his balance, and then you can take him. Well, you know, so speaking of me, Emmanuel Stewart. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm saying for me, being, yeah, being a pugilist specialist was very important. Learning all the crafts. You know, somebody said you better be able to box on the inside and the outside. And if you can't knock anybody out, you better be able to box. Well, you know, it's uh, we, we're talking about Amanda Stewart, and, and what an amazing trainer. Probably the best, uh, for certainly of our generation, uh, this gen, last generation. Um, but you, you went to Manny after you lost that fight to Oliver McCall. It was a stunner. It was your fourth title defense. And I remember watching that fight, absolutely stunned. But it just seems to me that just for a moment there, you lost your focus. He landed, he landed the right hand. It came out, of, it looked like you had the fight under control. It, it, everything was going your way, and then all of a sudden he lands that right hand. And tell us what happened. Is that like just a, a lapse of concentration? Is that what happened to you? Let, let me tell you. He's seen me getting ready to throw that right hand. And he threw his right hand after I threw my right hand. His, land, his landed on my chin. So, you know... These things only come around once in a while. And, I, you know, I say it was a lucky punch. And a lucky punch is a punch thrown one time, lands one time. So uh, it was a lucky punch. The ref I got up. The referee really yeah, didn't allow me to continue. He didn't, he didn't yeah. allow me to continue. Heavyweight fight. I get knocked down in the, in the first round. The I get up, and he didn't allow me to continue. So I thought something was kind of weird with that, and and it wasn't. It was weird until I got 
I left after the fight and I was going to the, the, the dinner and I seen the ref in a big table with Don King. And they were sitting in uh -huh. the big table, smiling and laughing. So I'm like, wow. Uh -huh. You know, that was that was Don King's ref doing that. Well, and, and you know, it took you two and a half years, two and a half years of chasing this guy around before he finally gave you a chance to get your title back. And the rematch, it was really strange. I mean, um, what was it like? I mean, you're expecting to fight Oliver McCall, but this time he breaks down in the ring and went, uh, starts crying. And like, how did you handle that? Listen, I was prepared for anything. I was prepared for him coming out and, and trying to sneak me with a shot and do that surprise shot again. I was, I was, you know, prepared for him coming out, being stronger. I was prepared for him actually being really over ready for the fight. But he looked under ready mentally for the fight and and physically he was he was he was unprepared because I don't think he was in shape. But we heard rumors about him in camp basically taking off and you know not wanting to talk to reporters. He wasn't stable. He was going through some definitely some problems. And uh, at that point, I didn't think he belonged in the ring. But with Don King, you know that's Don King's um, trophy right there. You know, he has to step in the ring because if he doesn't, Don King doesn't get any money. So they kept him hidden. And finally, when they brought him out for the last press conference, he didn't show up. So we didn't know what, what, uh, what to expect. But when he came out to the fight, we realized that he was going through some mental breakdown problems. Even the ref noticed it as well. And, you know, looking over to uh, his corners, like, they were fed up with it as well. They were like, yo, you know, Don King put us out here. You know, the guy's not stable, and this is what happens. After the Oliver McCall loss, uh, you hooked up with Emmanuel Stewart. How important was that uh, team teamwork for your uh, for the advancement of your career? Yeah, you know, it was important for me because me and Emmanuel actually met on a couple of different times, but he was – busy training other fighters at the time. I think he was training Tyson or Holyfield. And this was a situation where he wasn't stable with Oliver McCall or Don King. So we found it was a great opportunity to to grab Emmanuel and say, hey, come, you know, I'm an I'm upcomer and there's a lot of things that I need to be sorted out and I'm sure that you're the man that can help me. And you're the trainer of champions and... Uh, he, he was. He was a great trainer. We sat down. He told me what they did to plan to, to, to beat me. Basically, you know, take away my right hand. And it worked for them. And I, I realized that he was not only a teacher, but a professor of boxing. And me and him sh shared a lot of the same views. This is why he actually got me a job with HBO commentating. So he, he realized, he said, yo, you know boxing as well, man. You need to be out there. They need to hear you um, talk about boxing because you can break it down so well. So he was the inspirational person to help me get the, the first commentating job. He was the one to say, hey, go do it. You belong there. And, you know, there, there was this, there was one more kind of mistake that you made, and, and that was against Asim Rockman. And now Manny's managing your corner for this one. But... Now, about that time when you fought Rockman again, it, to me, it looked like just another freaking lucky punch. But I know there was a lot going on for you at that time. I mean, you were busy. You would, you would be traveling around the world doing Naked Oceans 11 uh, at the time, I believe. And, and uh, you know, and, and traveling to South Africa, you know, that had an issue. Uh, that was an issue for you. Tell us about what happened and how that happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, we wanted to keep busy because, we, you know, Tyson was coming out of jail and everything, so we wanted to keep busy. We wanted to keep busy with somebody that wasn't going to fall over in the, in the first or second round. Haseem Rockman was, like, seventh on the list, and we decided to box him. And, uh, you know, obviously Muhammad Ali went to Africa, boxed in Africa. I'm a heavyweight. Muhammad Ali's my idol. I want to box in Africa. So I said, you know, I want to box in Africa. So we organized a fight in Africa where um, it was very high altitude. And uh, it was a situation where I had a, um, a fight coming up, also had a, a part in a movie that I could do. And 
the part in the movie was only just three days. It was boring okay. three days. Basically, go to your dressing room, come out of the dressing room, shoot a sip, shoot something, go back in the dressing room. They're going to fix the lights and the camera, go out, do the same thing about four, four times a day for three days. And then I actually went to South Africa for a week and prepared for my fight. I was prepared before that, but, you know, finishing my, my training and altitude training up there. Hasim Rotman was there two weeks before me. And I'm like, wow. The guy went up there two weeks yeah. before me to uh, I, I, uh, get used to the altitude. That's what I should have did. Because when I went into the fight, it was weird because I would, you know, throw a couple punches. Then it felt like I was fighting for, for oxygen. So my whole vibe and my whole pace of what I box at actually changed. And it wasn't until the rematch with Hasim Rotman because he, he threw a great punch, which my, my chin happened to be in the way of. Uh, yeah. And and again, you know, obviously I wanted to continue, but I wasn't able to. But it was a great punch, and it was a it was a situation where I wasn't fully ready for the fight. And uh, the next fight, I was ready for. I said, okay, if it's gonna take that to beat me, I'm I basically beat myself, and I need to really go in there, buckle down, focus and get back in the ring. And the second fight, he couldn't really catch me. You know, the punch that I knocked him out with was the same punch that I started off in the first round with, where I almost caught him. I was inches away from hitting him with that punch. But I was, yeah, a, different, he, I was, right a, different, I was a different man, and he knew that. Well, you, you really do see the difference between the first fight and the second fight. In that second fight, there it is. I, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen you more focused than you were in that second fight in any of your fights. It looked like this is, this is, I, I'm all business now. I mean, maybe, maybe Tyson, but you were really so focused in that fight. Let me tell you, I was really focused. I put Asim's picture up in my room. So every morning I would wake up and see his face. So, that's how focused I was. Even when he stepped in the ring, I was looking at him the whole way. So focused. And, you know, he actually rekindled a flame that was dwindling inside me. So, yeah, that really helped me get back, you know, to, to my focus, which is being a champion. And um, that's what happened. Well, the... the uh... The fact that you, uh, you know, came back and won the title uh, from Rockman, uh, you were the only man at the time, I think still, to win the title three times, to, to regain the championship three times. Nobody's ever done that before. And that's one of the, one of the great things about, I think, about your legacy is that, you know, yeah, you, you, you had a couple of slip-ups. You had a couple of mistakes. You got hit by a couple of punches, and, 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 and that happened. That's going to happen in, in a heavyweight title fight for sure. Uh, but yet you, come, you came back and you uh, avenged those two losses, and that's the only, you're the only man who's done that. Yes, uh, I feel great by doing it. You know, I, you know, I look at it like this. If I, if I didn't lose, I wouldn't know how great I would, would be or how great I am. Because that's how that's what really the, the the great test is is testing if you can come back from a loss, testing if you can correct your mistake and make your mistake a victory. So that's that's what I, that's what that's what really brings the character of, of the person of a champion out. And no doubt about that. I mean, you know, and you re get to retire undefeated, but. I'm going to get to that in just a second. First, I mean, you beat them all. You beat uh, Mike Weaver, Shannon Briggs, Andrew Galata, Tommy Morrison, R Merciless Ray Mercer, Razor Ruddock, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, uh, Evander Holyfield uh, twice. Although in the first fight, uh, somehow uh, the uh, uh, the judges saw this as a as a as a draw, and that's because one of the judges had uh, Holyfield ahead. And I don't know how you have Holyfield ahead when basically you threw 200 more punches in this fight than Evander Holyfield did. How did that happen? How do you get a draw out of this fight? That's what I want to know. I, I want to know. I think, I think the people or, you know, the people didn't really believe that I could do it. 
oh man, he couldn't, can't do it. We can't, we can't let this this uh, guy take the take the belts. So they've made it difficult for me. They wanted to see it again. I think everybody was very horrified of the fact that I lost the first one. That they really overwhelmed me with the uh, with the uh, the match afterwards, showing that I you know I was way ahead on the cards. So uh, right. they they made it unanimous yeah. the second fight. Right. There's no there's no doubt when you look at the scorecards for the second fight. But the first fight, that was kind of ridiculous. I remember one judge said that she couldn't see the fight very well because the ref was in the way, so she missed a lot of your punches and yada, yada, yada. yada. <laughs> yeah, they also, anyway. They also, found, they also found a 100 grand in their, their bank account. Yeah, how'd that happen? How'd that happen? <laughs> so, uh, so now, Mike Tyson. There are some who said that you were ducking Mike Tyson, but let me let me just give some people some background. First of all, when you were when you were a teenager, you and Arnie traveled from Kitchener to the Catskills to track this Mike Tyson dude on up uh, down who you had heard so much about, right? And, uh, yeah. and 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 so you could spar with the guy. Tell us about that uh, about those people who say I, you were ducking Mike Tyson. No, definitely not ducking Mike Tyson. Um, you know, like you were right. I won the World Junior Championships in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic in 1983. And the, the biggest teams were American team, the Cuban team, and the Canadian team. And I remember, um, you know, beating the Cuban champion, beating the American champion, and the American team said, well, you didn't beat the best. And I'm like, who's the best? They said, Mike Tyson. He doesn't like taking planes. His manager doesn't like taking planes either. I'm like, you know, I looked at my uh, trainer, Arnie. I'm like, well, how far is the Catskills? He said, well, it's not that far. It's in New York. I said, can we go? He said, yeah, let's drive up there. So we drove up to the Catskills, visited Mike Tyson, sparred with him for a week. Great experience, great guy. He took me up into his room. He, he hanged this sheet and he showed me some old time fights I've never ever seen in my life. In fact, you know, it's hard to see these old fights unless you know the names of the different fighters. But he had them all. His manager, Bill Caton at the time, owned them so uh, he could watch and learn from old time fighters. He was telling me, he brought me up to the room and said, yeah, see how this guy really hits the elbow and hits you with the head and you don't even yeah. know it. And I was watching this thing and I'm like, yeah, you're right. These guys actually fight dirty, but they get away with it. So back then he was really being taught how to box and get away with a lot of different things. But he uh, he knew a lot about old time fighters. He knew a lot about a lot back then. It was definitely a miss. And now it's um, the uh, when you finally got a chance to fight Tyson, uh, and uh, uh, what didn't you at one point didn't didn't Don King offer you some money to not fight Tyson so he could fight Bruce Seldon and get a get a get a title? Yeah, uh, I got paid step aside money, uh, and you know when you look at what they're trying to pay guys step aside money now you know as a winner as a champion they paid me step aside money and uh and that was because you know mike tyson just came out of incarceration you know he didn't want to step into a hard fight first he wanted another fight which was the bruce seldom fight and i'm like yeah i'm with it he, he can do that he can box bruce seldom he has been out for a while so that's fine so you finally, but you finally did get him in the ring. And, uh, you know, we were, a lot of us were waiting for this fight because we were expecting it for a long time and we finally got it done. And, it, and, it, and what did it feel like for you to finally get your opportunity? Uh, it felt great. You know, this is a fight that's been eluding me for uh, quite some time. I didn't want to retire without boxing Mike Tyson. You know, a lot of people were, would always say, well, Mike Tyson was the best. He knocked out Lennox Lewis. Well, I wanted to end that kind of conversation and show the public that, yo, I'm the best. I'm the last pugilist specialist. 
I am the the best in the world. Nobody can test. I lay them all to rest. <laughs> and that you did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so like, so, so, uh, where, what did he ever, was there ever a time in this fight where you were a little bit worried, a little bit concerned that, uh, you know, did he ding with a couple of shots and you think, oh, well. You know, Mike Tyson was unstable at that time. So everybody thought. But, you know, he was, he was, I think he was just wise as a fox. And uh, I think it's in this fight, I was more concerned with him pulling my hair than biting my ear. Mm -hmm. Right. But uh, yeah, I, so I prepared mean... my whole career for this fight. Emmanuel Stewart said, Mike Tyson's going to be the easiest fight. And I'm like, easiest fight? What do you mean? So it wasn't until... We were getting ready for the fight. You know, he was saying, listen, there's a couple of things Mike Tyson does that's going to help you in the fight. You know, when he comes in close to you, he's going to have his feet like this, one beside each other. All you have to do is push him back. So, uh, you know, I tried that a couple of times and it worked. So I just kept on doing it. And I think, um, you know, it was, Mike Tyson's a, a great guy, has a great respect and great boxing knowledge. And it was, it was a great fight to box a man like that and that the respect that he showed me afterwards as well was 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 unbelievable well it it turned out like uh, you know as the fight progressed you get stronger and stronger and stronger we knew it was just a matter of time before before you before you knocked him out um this is the former baddest man on the planet uh, did it feel like you had some vindication here uh because he called you out he bit your leg in the news conference uh you know he said all kinds of things about eating your children and you know <laughs> yes it wild. did it did feel like vindication because because of all that you know the fact i think the biggest one was biting my leg you know i've never had mm -hmm. a human bite me before <laughs> dogs or whatever i got bit by dogs, a human <laughs> being biting me i was really horrified and you know i could have said oh i don't want to box this guy this guy's mad this guy's like he's crazy i don't want to box him i think that's what he wanted me to say so i i really was you know focused on him the fact that he bit me i looked at that as first blood i'm gonna take the second blood <laughs> yeah, that you did so you you take care <laughs> of tyson and that 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 business is taken care of you had one ma more major fight in your career uh, you close it out against uh, Vitaly Klitschko, and uh, once again in this fight, you you uh, you had to dig down deep because uh, you know the fight didn't start out well for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, we took a year off just um, celebrating after we beat Tyson, and then I wanted to come back with Kurt Johnson as my first fight, and then take uh, Klitschko as my last fight in the year. But Klitschko paid Kurt Johnson off and said, let me go. I'm, I've been training. I'm ready. Uh, I'm ready for Lewis. Let me take him. So within a week, I switched my opponent, which was um, which was Kurt Johnson, to a 6'9 guy. And so that was pretty difficult to adjust to that really quickly. It took me a few rounds. So I would say I lost, a few, you know, I lost those first three rounds and then because of how i box you know i'm a strong i'm strong uh in the middle and at the end so i started getting stronger in the middle in this fight it just it just took a while to reach him the guy was six nine you know i'm coming from boxing mike tyson this is the first six nine guy that i boxed and i had no sparring to prepare for him but at my worst i still beat him at his best which was, you know, right. uh, you know, it was a fight. It wasn't pretty, but still I won. Well, you, you did make some adjustments in that fight too. Like it, you weren't doing the same thing in the beginning as you were when you, when you stopped him eventually. No, I mean, let me tell you, you have to adjust in the fight. I mean, some, some fights, a person can lose a fight because he wasn't able to adjust to the other person's style. And that person, you know, runs around you know jabbing him to death and, and and scoring up the points i wasn't gonna allow this i realized that 
they've they've never been in this type of a fight and been in my kind of jungle and in my jungle there's only lions that survive they're the king of the jungle so i was a lion that day you were you were a lion throughout your career definitely lennox yes. now Manny uh, is Manny, Manny, uh, Manny Stewart is one of the one of the many who 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 said really that you are the, you're kind of be you're the last of the great heavyweights and and he said many said that you would uh, you would have held your own against any heavyweight in any era. And that's pretty high praise from a guy who who is uh, been. Oh, that's a unbelievable compliment. I mean, you know, I just look I look at it as in a room filled with great men. I will leave, I will be the last man standing. Well, yeah, and you know what? I, I look at Lennox Lewis today, and I think, how would Lennox Lewis fare against a guy like Tyson Fury? Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I've got an idea how you, you do against Tyson Fury. I think tell what him, happens tell with him, Tyson. Him. I don't want to. I don't want right. to ring my own bell. <laughs> okay, here's what's going to happen against Tyson Fury. In a, in a similar fight, you know, when Deontay Wilder hit Tyson Fury, Fury was able to weather the storm, stuck his jab in his face. But see, so you, you're one of the few heavyweights who can match match Tyson Fury jab for jab, and you uh, and you got way more power than he ever had, and you were one of the best closers that the division has seen. So what's going to happen is when when Tyson Fury gets hurt by that punch, unlike Deontay Wilder who couldn't finish the job. Lennox Lewis finishes the job. So there you go. Also, it, also I'm, a, yeah. I'm a body puncher too, so he, his, his body would get wrecked as well. Right. And it, yeah, and, and that's something Wilder was, was just a headhunter, right? Yeah. For sure. And just to note, Tyson Fury is a great champion right now. He's the, he's the man, he's he the is. number one heavyweight on the planet right now. So enough respect go out to him. For sure, he, he, no doubt about it. He's, I think he's the best fighter out there. Uh, yeah. Against Usyk, I think, I think he, he and you would both do the same thing against Usyk, having that ability to, you know, keep keep a, a shorter man at bay, use your power and, and use your power to hurt him. Uh, you know, unlike uh, I don't know what happened to, to Joshua, but he was, uh, he just, he looked like he was lost against Usyk, and and uh, you know. And uh, I don't think that would be the case if you were fighting a guy like Alexander Yusser. My thoughts, anyway. No. Well, I'll tell you one thing that went against him was he boxed the southpaw. That's one of the best southpaws on the planet. He's boxing. Right. And, you know, how many southpaws has he boxed in his whole career? One, Charles Martin. Right. So he wasn't prepared we, for Usyk's, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Usyk's boxing onslaught of, of punches, remarkable. You know, he's, he's definitely a hard worker and a remarkable boxer. You know, um, I want to say, like, according to uh, Forbes magazine, uh, you're, you're, uh, Lennox Lewis is worth something about like $150 million. I don't know if that's actually in the ballpark or not. But you know what's great is, is you made a lot of money in the ring, but you've been able to keep it, unlike a lot of other fighters. How were you able to, to hold it all together like that? Well, you know, I don't know why my friends always tell me so I can peel oranges in my in my pockets. So I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think it means something that you're, you're pretty good with your money. You're pretty frugal or something like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, or like to keep your hands in your pockets. I don't know. Something along those lines. Um, Lennox, uh, I, I just uh, any any final thoughts? Like there's there was a rumor a little while ago that you might come out of retirement to fight Mike Tyson, anything like that. Are you are you quite content with uh, living the life you're living now? I'm very content living the life I'm living now. But if Mike Tyson wants some, it's here. I've got lightning and thunder still here. Well, you know what? That's. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, sort of old the, uh, the the champions league, if you will, in terms of boxing uh, going on these days. But uh, that that's one champions uh, boxing league matchup that I'd pay to see. That's for sure.
And, uh, yeah, because, you know, Mike, he's kept himself in pretty good shape. He looks pretty good there when he's shadow boxing, you know, at the Super Bowl. And, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to surprise the world. When they see my body, they're going to go, wow. <laughs> wow is right, man. You, you, you always had that pretty good physique. And, and uh, yeah. Lennox, so I, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, uh, you, you've been awesome. I know you're a pretty good chess player. And uh, and uh, you still do do lots of that, but uh, if you do come out of uh, retirement, make sure you let us know, right? Give us a call and let us All know. All right, I will. And, uh, and and once again, the the documentary is called uh, Lennox Lewis: The Untold Story. Absolutely magnificent. Uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. And thank you for doing this as uh, as a guest on Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show. We have some great Italian clothing for you from Classica Imports. We're going to hook you up with Jeff. He's going to give you some real nice threads, so you, you'll like that. Oh, lovely. Great. Love that. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Lennox, and, and uh, looking Thanks forward for to uh, me, your – Absolutely my pleasure, buddy. Absolutely my pleasure. It's All been right. a, lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, man. One of my faves all time. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. We got more sports when we come back. God bless. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Hey, this is Tommy Grazley, a.k.a. Tommy Gunn. I love two things, music and sports. And when I want sports, I go to the Joe Tilly Show. He gives me everything I want. It's a great show. Check it out for yourself. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Good night. When I'm working out, I like to wear my Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show t-shirt. It makes me feel handsome and strong. If you want a t-shirt, support the show. Click on the link below. Now, back to my workout. 1,761, 1,762, 1,763, 1,764. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today, and your first bet is free. That's hpibet.com. Slow play. It's a slippery slope. First you go looking for that lost ball, and then everything goes sideways. There are a lot of golfers on the course. Make certain of your point of entry, Look quickly and move on. Remember, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Find anything, Bob? Not yet. Shopclublink.ca for golf equipment, demo clubs, trade-ins, golf apparel, men's and women's, custom fittings, accessories, all at your fingertips. Shopclublink.ca. Mycosa Swiss Pick of the Week. First of all, the 2021 O'Brien Award winners were announced. 
Miller Farms, who took home three O'Brien trophies, including the Armstrong Greeter of the Year, stole the show. North American Cup champ Desperate Man won his division, as well as the Some Beach Somewhere Horse of the Year title. Richard Moreau was named Trainer of the Year for the ninth time. Owner Brad Grant took home two O'Brien titles. Luke Blaze won for Horsemanship, and James McDonald took the inaugural Keith Waples Driver of the Year Award. All right, time for my Swiss pick of the week, and here we go. In the third race, uh, we're going to go with, uh, first of all, the, the eighth race. I'm going to go to uh, Thursday night's card at Mohawk, the $32,000 final of the Wine and Roses Trotting Series for Phillies and Mares. I'm going with the three-horse Stonebridge Strong with Chris Christopheru in the buggy. He had a tough trip in the second leg, but should be able to get it done this week. I also like the two, three, four, uh, exact the box. And Ken Middleton, our old pal Ken Middleton's given us a pick this week. He says, go with Give Me Carrots K in the third race Thursday night at Mohawk. That's the number eight horse. Give Me Carrots K. Should you read number eight horse number, number three, but there you go. All right. My bankroll is at $92. For all the racing updates, visit COSA TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options. Time now for the RICOM Wrap, sports news that's close to home. Yes, the Canadian women's hockey team has rolled into the final at the Olympics. That sets up another showdown with the American side. Marie-Philippe Poulain with a couple as the Canucks stumped Switzerland 10-3 in the semifinals. And another gold medal for Canada in women's long track speed skating. Isabel Weidman, Evany Blondin, and Valerie Malte captured the team pursuit title. The men's team is into the quarterfinal in hockey after knocking off the host club. Stephen Dubois picked up his second medal of the games, a bronze in 500-meter short track speed skating. And Christine De Bruyne earned the bronze in the women's monobob. Uh, another great weekend for Canadian tennis. Felix Oje Alisson picked up his first ATP title. The 21-year-old Canadian rolled over Stefano Tsitsipas of Greece, the world number four, six four six two at Rotterdam. Well done, Felix. He also helped Canada to the ATP team title last month. These are heady times for Canadian tennis. Well, things were looking pretty good for the Maple Leafs until they ran into a couple of hot goaltenders on the left coast. Uh, the Leafs had brought up six straight wins before running into a pair of piping hot tenders, one in Calgary, one in Vancouver. Thatcher Demko of the Canucks was particularly good. A 51-save effort as the Canucks heads held off the Bud 3-2. That's going to happen in an 82-game schedule. I'm not the least bit concerned. They rebounded nicely against the Kraken. Solid game for Jack Campbell. Leafs are a good team that's going to get a little bit better at the trade deadline. I do believe they're posed for a long playoff run here, folks, and I'm sure you will all agree. Raptors saw their eight-game win streak come to a crashing halt. A tough one-point loss to the Nuggets. Pascal Siakam coming off NBA Player of the Week honors. Spicy Peaport in 35 points. All-star Freddie Van Vliet added 25, but... Nikola Jokic had 28 points and a massive block as time expired. The Dinos then dropped another game to the Pelicans. Thaddeus Young with his Raps debut in a losing cause. That will kick off a five-game road swing that will be sandwiched by the All-Star break. An impressive offseason continues for the Argos. After signing All-Star running back Andrew Harris, the Boltmen have signed another big piece, scooping star receiver Brandon Banks. Banks, a former Ticat was the CFL's most outstanding player in 2019, a former top special teams player. He's a six-time All-Star. The man can fly. The Double Blue will be a very good team this year. A rather large effort by the Toronto Rock on the weekend. The league-leading Buffalo Bandits were in town. They dropped by the first Ontario Centre. They were a perfect 6-0 and heading in. They had already rattled the Rock once this season, but not on this night. Tom Schreiber scored four times. And passed the 300-point mark for his career. Nick Rose, 37 saves as he sprung Mitch Desnu for a sweet breakaway goal as well. Uh, Rose with three assists. The Rock bounced Bandits 12-10. They improved to 5-3 and three with their third straight win. They'll be in Albany next weekend. Okay, let's see how he made it up on the, uh, the sixth screen at El Tigre this week. Here we are at the sixth hole. Beautiful mountains in the back. Island Green. This is the hole that separates the men from the boys. Joe Tilly steps up. Beautiful fountain in the background. Oh, 
there's no sound at all. Did he make it? Is he dancing? Oh my gosh. Today's environmental tip, keep your drinks in reusable containers. Instead of buying individually packaged drinks, consider buying a bulk container for your favorite beverage and buy a reusable bottle. Not only will this help the environment, but it will also help you save money. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions. For public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. Smart tech solutions, the latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning, and reduce environmental impact. RICOM. Smart protection solutions at RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future and a carbon-free economy. Yes, we want to thank, oh, that was a great golf show, wasn't it? We want to thank all the folks who make this show possible, uh, friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. I highly recommend them all. Uh, reminder, the show is also available on iTunes, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, all the usuals as well as the Spanglish Network and Zingo TV. Also, like and subscribe the show on YouTube. Do it. We want to thank, once again, Lennox Lewis for being on the program today, and uh, thank you for watching. Join us next week when Hockey Hall of Famer Angela James drops by. We'll see you then. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. And let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and over-deliver? Now, Aldo and his team are amazing, best in the business. And here's a real cool thing. Just tell them that you saw this ad on this show and you'll get one point off your commission. That's right, one point off your commission. Just call 416-GET-ALDO or visit getaldo.com for all your real estate needs. Brought to you by MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business consulting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the needs of our clients in the private, public, and non-for-profit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to doing business and personalized strategies to help people and organizations succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Toronto, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, our team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca to learn more.